to do some learning first because I'm not, I should have been doing this learning all along and I mm -hmm. didn't. So let me take a step back. Let me learn, not for you to teach me, not for my staff, not for the students that I've worked with and spent my career working with and the families. They, that wasn't their job to teach me. It was my job to go out and get books and learn and watch as much video, like to understand and to immerse myself in the learning. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. TEDx and inspirational speaker Ruth Rathblot is an award-winning CEO who is committed to creating inclusion for all. Ruth was born with a limb difference and currently speaks on issues of inclusion and diversity, the gifts of being unique, the freedom of accepting your differences, and rising above life's challenges. She is a leader who has spent her entire career focused on providing opportunities for those who face obstacles. Ruth has been a leader in nonprofit organizations for more than 25 years. Ruth holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Goucher College and Master of Social Work degree from Boston University. She was honored as the youngest alum ever awarded the Goucher College Excellence in Public Service Award. In 2014, she was given the Smart CEO Brava Award and profiled as a CEO in the New York Times Corner Office, which featured her passion and motivation. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Diversity Dish. I am so thrilled. My guest today is Ruth Rathblot. Ruth, how are you? I am so grateful to be here, Sadie, and to be able to talk to you and get to know you and have just be able to share my story. So I'm great. And it's warm weather, but not as warm as we've had this week. So I'm good. Yeah. Yay. We're going to get, I know we're going to get into some really great conversations and probably conversations that I haven't had yet on the podcast, which really excites me because I think that these conversations are very important. But before we get into that, or maybe instead of that, what's going to lead us into that is what are you most passionate about right now? Yeah, I am most passionate. Such a great question. I am most passionate right now about expanding diversity to be fully inclusive. Mm, I, yeah. I love that. I love that. And I know we were talking a little bit offline and I, I, you know, of course this is diversity dish. I talk about diversity. I talk about racial, gender, um, sexual, all of these types of diversities. But one of the diversities that I have not had the opportunity to talk about is the diversity of people who are disabled or who have a disability. And I think that that's what we're gonna talk about today, which makes me really excited. So people can't see you. So if you would not mind, please let them know why this is such a passion for you. Yep, so it is a passion because I was born with a limb difference. I was born missing my left hand. And I, while, 
early on in my life, I didn't see myself as different. And I definitely did not use the word disability, um, nor did my family. I was born in the days before sonograms. And so I was a surprise to my parents. Um, I was lucky, Sadie, that there was a nurse in the hospital who literally took them aside and just told them, you'll treat this little girl as normal. Mm. And for them, what that meant is encouraging me to try everything and not to dissuade me from trying things, but to actually encourage me. And it wasn't until kind of later in my life where I found out I was different, that I, this limb, this limb difference, and I didn't even know it was, that's was such a thing as the word limb difference that I started to realize that made me different. Mm -hmm. And I hit it because it made me different. And I wanted to just fit in and I will get into this, but fast forward when we've had conversations around diversity to your exact point, you're not alone in terms of your show. Like many people talk about really important lenses of diversity. They talk about race. They talk about gender, maybe sexual orientation is, has come up and the largest minority group, people with disabilities, those visible and invisible are often not part of the conversation. So I'm so grateful that you're opening space for that. That's truly my passion project. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is that I think that it's so important that it be a, a, a conversation because I see as well, and I'm sure that anyone who's looking can see that those with disabilities, they're, the, they're, the whatever it is that makes them different is often looked beyond past like oh we're not gonna we're not gonna mention it yeah. we're not gonna talk about that oh my gosh you know and i think that that's that's really unfortunate because it means that we are just as when we're looking at someone who is racially different than we are who is who has a different gender than we expect or that we are we you know we we look past and we say oh we're not gonna talk about that right yeah because we're Why not? Great, because we're afraid of getting in trouble or afraid of offending somebody or afraid of, but there's two pieces to it, right? The beauty of disability is that it cuts across all lines, right? It doesn't discriminate. So mm -hmm. you can be a different race and have a disability. You can be a different gender and have a disability, different age and have a mm -hmm. disability. You could care for someone in your family who has a disability. Disability cuts across all lines. It, it is true intersectionality because yes. it doesn't matter. And so I think when we talk about it that way, then we can open up the lanes and the lens of diversity to be more inclusive and to say, hey, let's talk about it because it affects so many people in yeah. different ways. And we don't have to not talk about it. I think the other piece is that that piece that you mentioned about being seen, right? Like the, we, I was uh, questioned about a few years ago, questioned about the diversity of leadership in an organization I was part of. And we went through kind of what that meant. And I asked, I said, well, do you see me as diverse? And the answer back from one person was, well, you're a woman. And I said, yeah, that's a lens of diversity. That's gender. What about my limb difference? Like, is that part of is that diversity? And I was told to your exact quote, we don't see you that way. And the thing is, it's not about being seen that way. It's about being acknowledged for it being part of diversity or being part of me. Cause it is part of me. It's right. not all of me. It's a right. part of me. And so when we think about diversity, yeah. How do we 
open the lanes and the lens so that other people can feel included, whether it's visible differences like mine or invisible differences like mental health and neurodiversity. Yes. Many too. Yes. That I was going to just bring that up as well, because there are visible and invisible differences that we can't, we don't often, we can't often know and see, but those differences really impact the way that people relate to their jobs, relate to other people, relate to their environment. And it's so important to keep that in mind. I've had a couple of neurodiverse people on the show and you know, the, what they want people to understand is that it's just a difference. It's doesn't make, it doesn't, it, it's not the all it is. Right. It's not their totality. It's yes. a piece of them. And I think the, the goal, right, with disability is to talk about it so that we destigmatize it to that yes. point for people and that we start to own the word much like the LGBTQ community owned the word queer. Yes. Like how can we own disability as a strength rather than it being a deficiency? Like it is, yeah. a um, it's about challenge. It's about uh, the idea of something that has helped, has made us who we are, but it's not to your point, all of us, it's a piece. Right. There's a, there's a really great TED talk that I've watched and oh, forgive me, I do not remember her name, but it's, but the title of her TED talk is, I am not your inspiration. Thank you yes. very much. Yeah. Have you seen that one? I have. I, <laughs> it was brilliant because it is, because I think sometimes people want us to be inspirational by saying, oh my God, you woke up today and you tied your shoe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I did. I've been doing it since I was five. I actually taught myself. But yeah, I think people want disability to be inspirational. And while stories are inspirational of things that people can do, people are too, but that's not all of us, right? Yes. Like, and that isn't the only thing that shouldn't be the marker of whether you think I'm able or not is because you think I'm an inspiration. Right. And the thing is that, you know, when when you think about it that in that way, you think about, well, you learn to tie your shoelace. You don't do it the same way that I do because I use both, both all 10 fingers, which you don't have 10 fingers. But what does that mean? That means that you had to just learn a different way to do it. And is my way better because I have the 10 fingers in your way not? No, it's just a different way. And it's just kind of like, oh, and, and, and understanding that and seeing that also allows people to go, when you say, well, I do it this way, then they can say, I would have never thought to do it that way. And now all of a sudden, wow, our brains have expanded, our views have expanded, our our, our understanding has expanded, you well, know? I, you work, I mean, I know as I've been a non, I was a nonprofit leader for 25 years. And I can tell you the people that I wanted on my team were the ones that thought outside the box, that thought creatively. And you get to do that when you're challenged with something or when you have to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And I know even the people I want on my team working with me are the ones that, again, think creatively or outside the box. And whether it's having a disability who's at, that I was had to figure things out that way or any type of challenge in life where you had to figure something out because you had to get from point A to point B and there was sometimes a mountain in between. And mm -hmm. I was like, how are you going to do that? So yeah, I know that lane and lens of disability can be really powerful in terms of how we think about 
figuring things out. Yeah. One of the things that I want to bring forth also is that it can be offensive to people with disabilities, whatever their disability is, when people say, oh my gosh, like you said, you're so inspiring and they all they've done is just be present in a space. Mm-hmm. Because being present in a space is what we do. But it's like, oh my gosh, you found it within yourself to not just get up this morning, but to get dressed and to do, you know, all the things that I've done to get here. You're so inspired. And with all the, the, whatever our minds are, our, you know, very narrow minds put on what that person is, the ability that that person is supposed to have, we speak from that. And that I feel becomes so offensive to people who with disabilities. Yeah, I mean, I think I have two reactions to that, right? One is there are challenges that we all face and people <laughs> with disabilities for sure in terms of, you know, the severity of disability in terms of what you face in a day that, yeah, sometimes getting out of bed is really hard. And I, I absolutely appreciate that. So that's a piece of it, right? There's thinking about what has someone accomplished in their day of just sometimes it is just getting out of bed. Sometimes it's the next step of getting dressed, all those pieces. Absolutely. And then there's the the thought of, would we say that to someone else who didn't have a disability? Like, oh, I'm so proud of you for getting up today. Like, <laughs> do we, or I'm so proud of you for being here. I'm so, wow, I'm so amazed. You're so inspirational. When, like, if we did that to any other group, mm-hmm. that would be offensive, right? Yes. So why is it okay when we do it to people with disabilities? Like mm-hmm. that's the mindset shift that I think needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because Sadie, you also asked me what I'm passionate about in the beginning of this conversation. So I think that idea of expanding diversity is huge for me. And it also comes from the space. And I'm really passionate about this word. And people have said, is it even a word, which is unhiding? Like, how do we unhide, right? Because so many of us are walking around hiding parts of ourselves from other people. And I realized when that person said to me, we don't see you that way. It wasn't because I was hiding my hand anymore, which I'd done for 25 years. It was because I wasn't sharing my story out about my difference. Mm-hmm. And so I was still hiding. Um, so how do we unhide so that people can see us, our full selves, understand the things that we may be going through, and then also share the things that they're going through so we can be connected. And I think that's a really important part of diversity is yeah. that sense of belonging. And how do yes. we unhide? Yes unhiding. But I think that that is coupled with feeling as if you are in a space where unhiding is going to be okay, Mm -hmm. where there's trust and there's compassion and there is, there is a synergy. There is an inclusion there that allows you to say, okay, I'm going to take this chance on showing myself because I feel that in this space, it's okay for me to do that. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the things that I'm working towards in the work that I do is helping leaders understand how to create those types of teams and spaces where people feel comfortable to have you in the room 
and they will show themselves fully and you understand that first of all it took a lot of courage to do that because they don't know how you're going to react then to react in a way that allows them to say okay i am in a space where i can just be hey thanks for listening my name is Cedrola Maruska, and I help entrepreneurs and small businesses go from mediocre to magnificent by transforming their cultures to be more equitable and inclusive. To find out how we can work together, go to diversitydish.com, where you'll find my consulting, coaching, and speaker information. Diversitydish.com. I look forward to working with you. And that, no, and Ab, you and I are, are, I'm so grateful to connect with you because we're speaking such similar languages that I think it is, there's two pieces, right? There's the idea of safety and creating safety. And how do you do that, right? Mm -hmm. You want it to be with kindness and you want it to be still with curiosity. I don't want people not to ask me. I want people to ask me. Coming from a place of kindness and support, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the other piece to this, which is, have you done the work on yourself first to be able to create that safe space? Because if you don't understand yourself and the differences that you bring forward, then how are you going to show up and create that? If you're not willing to be vulnerable and talk about where your differences are, we can't ask, expect and ask people to do that too, like as a leader. And I've learned a lot in leadership as I've been through, and I haven't always been so inclusive. And I know the places where I could have spent more time and and paused. I think a great example of where I paused, where, yes, it was about understanding myself and in writing the book that I've been writing, I've been definitely on a journey of understanding it. But I will say when George Floyd was murdered and Black Lives Matter rose, my staff at that time came to me and said, so what's the action plan? What, what are you doing? What's the action plan? And I had to take a step back and say to them in a very transparent way, I need to do some learning first because I'm not, I should have been doing this learning all along and I mm-hmm. didn't. So let me take a step back. Let me learn, not for you to teach me, not for my staff, not for the students that I've worked with and spent my career working with and the families. They, that wasn't their job to teach me. It was my job to go out and get books and learn and watch as much video, like to understand and to immerse myself in the learning. And only then, honestly, Sadie, could I then listen? Mm-hmm. And only then after I listened, could I create an action plan on how we could work to this? But I do think there's the first, I needed to know myself well enough to say what I don't know mm-hmm. and go out and learn what I needed to learn and understand. And then I created an action plan. And then I could start to see who was missing from the table around me. What were the, who were the voices, that representation of mm-hmm. who was at the table, who wasn't. And only then could I even be show empathy because I needed, I, there were things I didn't know. And so that this, I've created a model actually around this, which is that understanding it's called the cure model, which is connection, understanding, representation, and empathy, all leading to belonging. But the truth is, and what I hear you saying too, is it has to start with the understanding of yourself, right? Yes. To start with you because you can't be there for anyone. It's like they say on an airplane, you give yourself oxygen first before others, right? <laughs> it's yeah. with diversity work. You have to do the work on yourself. Otherwise you're not going to be fully included because you haven't you haven't understood what you needed to understand. 
Absolutely. And that's why I like to work with business leaders, because I think to myself, if you're trying to create a, a team, if you're working to create an environment where your team comes to look to you and say, says, what's the plan? What are we doing? And you have not thought out, just like you said, you don't even know the questions to ask. You don't know uh, what to take and what to leave. You don't, you can't sift through any of it if you haven't done the work yourself to understand where you are in this work and why your position even matters so much in this work, right? Yeah. We can talk about organizations all we want, but organizations are made up of people. Yeah. And until those people who are the, the workers, the, the leaders, the, the managers, the C, until all those people are working on themselves and saying, yes, I want and I'm willing to have this conversation, these organizations won't change. They're going to continue to be performative and they're going to continue to miss the mark when it comes to racial diversity, gender diversity, uh, ability, dis disability, all of those things because they don't have the right ears to hear and to understand. Right. And I think to your point about it being performative, right, it becomes a checklist of what, we, what we've done rather than how we're doing it. And the other piece, I guess I would say is we also then, when we're doing it in a performative way, we start to create a hierarchy. In mm. And that's been, I don't want to say interesting to watch, but it's been fascinating to see that there's a hierarchy of what gets included and what doesn't. And then the, the shocking part to me, the mind-blowing part that I wasn't aware of is even in within those groups, there's a hierarchy, right? So there are hierarchies around race. There are hierarchies around gender. There are hierarchies around disability. I had someone say to me recently, well, it's not like you're Helen Keller. And I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what that has that to do with this conversation, but she's like, well, why are you representing disability? You're, you're not really even that disabled. And I'm like, Oh, so there's that you have to have a certain, certain. Disability to be included in disability. Huh. Didn't know that. So like, and what that comes from, at least in my perspective is a scarcity mindset, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of, wow, there's not enough place at the table for us all to have it. So we have to get in line and we have to only who goes first. There is enough room. Yeah. The beauty of this whole thing is, and because disability cuts across all lines, it absolutely should be at the table with everyone in this conversation. Um, yeah. And there's enough work to do. There's enough work to do. Absolutely. Um, it's so true. I was just having a conversation earlier about the scarcity mindset, the idea that if we begin to open up more diversity, open up, you know, work workplaces to more people, all of a sudden a another group of people is going to lose how is that even possible there is there is enough what we're saying is that this there there's a whole swath of the population that has been kept out of doing certain things right doing jobs because they've been viewed as in incapable incapable of doing things and they've shown themselves to be capable so we're opening the door for them and the position or the the job that you think that you are owed or that you are entitled to is not really an entitlement. It's, you know, it goes for whoever 
is able to do that job and to think that there's going to be some scarcity that you're going to be replaced in some way blows my mind yeah yeah <laughs> and it's true for each lane of diversity right yes. that that mindset that scarcity mindset happens and the the truth is that that pie is big enough for yes. all of us to eat yes. um and it reminds me of a, a parable that a friend shared with me recently which was the, the parable of the tale of the the long spoons and it's where a king do you know this one where the king yes uh, is given the opportunity to he is dying and he is given the opportunity to see heaven or hell and he goes first they show him hell and hell is this huge banquet with lots of food and uh, amazing and the people are all given their hands turn into forks and spoons but the forks and spoons can't reach the table. And so even though there's this um, huge amount of food and it's, it's amazing, they can't get to the food. And the guys, like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to be here. Like, that's terrible. Like what, why would you, that's cruel. Like this huge banquet, amazing <laughs> food and you can't get to it. So he takes them to heaven and he sees the same banquet, the same long spoons, as hands and forks, his hands. And he's like, well, wait, this is the same thing I saw in hell. Why, what's happening? He's like, the guide said, look closer. And when he looked closer, people were feeding each other. They, yes, they couldn't still reach the table, but they were feeding each other. And so I share that because if we help each other, that's how that we erase the scarcity mindset. We, it's an abundance mindset. Yeah. Uh, and so there is enough room at the table. There's enough that work, like we said, to do. How do we help each other? How do we create spaces so that there are those safe places for conversation? There are the opportunities to grow and have careers. There are opportunities to test out and hire people that we have previously thought of as couldn't handle it. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we thought women couldn't handle jobs, like right. whether it be in the army or the military or leadership. And so how are we continuing to, to build those opportunities for people? And that's literally how I've spent my career is building opportunities for young people where people thought before they wouldn't be welcome in. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's so interesting to me how that, how that works, but yes, I have, I did hear that story before and I love hearing it again because it's a reminder that how we need to help each other. Yeah. We have to work together and working together yeah. creates the synergy, the, the compassion it creates. We all need each other, basically, is what it's saying. There, there's just, there's no way to really get around that. And to think that certain things are never going to affect you, so you shouldn't care, is such the wrong mindset to have, <laughs> right? When you think about that. And a lot of that is is what people think. Oh, well, I don't need to worry about that because that's never going to be me. Right. And that's, well, that's the other thing about disability is that it can strike at any time. Anytime. <laughs> any place, anywhere. And anybody in your family, maybe it's not you personally, but it can be you become a caretaker of someone who has a disability. And so, yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, that's this, this, the journey of this whole thing. You know, as you're saying, it's like, 
how do we set people up for success what, rather than um, and showing them roadmaps and providing them with opportunities so that we give them the training so that they can succeed rather than saying, well, they're not qualified to do the job. Well, have we actually given them the skill set? I mean, that's the bridge between the work I'm doing now and the work I've been doing for young people is, yeah, they, of course they're not going to come in because you haven't given them the skills and the tools to be able to do that. So what if we start to shift that so that yeah. people do get the skills and they get the network and they get maybe that, you know, give them the opportunities to, to be introduced to the workplace in different ways. That's what I've spent my career doing and giving them mentors so that they can be successful rather than, oh, well, they're not interested anyway. How do you know? How do you know? Give them to that space um, yeah. and what's possible, what's creative and what's possible. I mean, yeah. So. Yeah. It's really interesting how people make decisions based on their own thinking and not asking questions, right? It's like, oh, this community needs this and they need this and they need this without ever going to that community. Have you talked to someone who's neurodiverse? Have you talked to someone who's gender diverse? Have you talked to someone who is um, who is of a different race than you are to find out what it is that they're missing or that they feel that they're missing so that you can help. And I know you add even like where they, yes. What are, where, where are they, have you talked to them to find out what, what strengths do they have that you don't, that you have never even thought of ways that they think that you don't think the thing that, that, you know, really truly boggles me sometimes is that, so I'm, I'm of Haitian descent. So I speak three different languages, right? Mm-hmm. I think in English because I was raised here. I was born here, raised here. So I think in English. So when I'm speaking French, sometimes if I get stuck on a word, I automatically go to English, but I can also think in French, right? And I also can think in Creole. There are people who come here who English is their second language. So therefore they are thinking in one language and translating in their brain to speak your language. And if they mess up, then people think, oh, well, they're just, they're, they're, they're not so smart. Yeah. No, no, they, their brains are working far harder than your, your brain because not only are they thinking in a different language, they're translating in real time so that they can communicate with you. Yeah. I mean, how many of us have even, besides English, how many of us have other languages we speak? And so the fact (laughs) that you're telling me I speak two other languages and yes, you're constantly translating and whether it's a family that, or somebody who speaks Spanish and, oh, well, they should learn English. Wait, they already know another language. Like recognize that, that to your point, like their brain is working in, yeah. And I think with all of the challenge differences, right, that we've all learned to accommodate in ways I know as a person with a disability, I've learned to accommodate things in ways that people can't even imagine. Yeah. Like, and so, and yes, to your other point, we make assumptions about people all the time, all the time, checking in to see what they can handle or what they can't. Yes. We make assumptions. Yes. Yeah. And so we really need to step away from that. We really need to see people, see people for their humanity and see them for what they bring to the conversation, to the table, to the team. And um, to be curious about it. That's where it's very starts, curious. Right? Like yes. being curious and being kind in the curiosity, not because we're watching an accident happen, 
but because we're curious about how can I support you? How can I understand your experience so that I get to know you and yeah. that I can then lend a, hey, do you need support? Or, hey, how have you thought about this maybe differently than I? And that, right. that also creates that space of safety and communication, right? Because yes. we're actually interested rather yes. than consumption. Right. And, and the expansion of the mind that comes when you are open to hearing about those differences, hearing about what new creative ways of doing things is, is, doc is well documented in terms of how teams flourish, mm -hmm. how teams become more innovative, more creative, more profitable, you know, less attrition, just a lot of positives that happen when you can create the space for these things to happen and to happen hopefully eventually organically where it becomes the absolute norm that this we know that in this organization or on this team this is how things work and so you you got to get in there and you got to be part of that of that team can you tell us a little bit more in detail what it is that you do right now i would like to to know sure so i right now i spend my time speaking with corporations and teams executive teams and diversity and inclusion leaders around the idea of expanding diversity to be more inclusive i spend a lot of time doing that i also consult with companies in terms of how do they build out their employee resource groups or affinity groups to include that intersectionality lens and also disability as one of those groups and then the last piece of how I've spent my last five to six months, Sadie, is I've been writing a book and the yay. book is, yeah, it's, it is a yay because <laughs> it's like, I can't believe that I just turned it over to my publisher. And it's really the story of two things. One is the journey of me hiding my limb difference in my hand for 25 years. Wow. And I learned to unhide it through what I call the SOS method of I brought, I let someone in to teach me how to love that part of myself. I found my community with share, finding others who also had limb differences like mine. So there was that shared experience part. And then the last S is for, I started to share out my, my because so many of us, my story, because mm -hmm. so many of us are hiding parts of ourselves and stuck with thinking we're the only ones hiding. We're the only ones that have something different about us. And so as I've started to share that out, people have started to share back and say, hey, I'm dealing with this, whether it's somebody who is on a journey around mental health who says, wow, I have felt like I was the only one, whether it's someone who approached me and said, thank you for having me feel included because I have a stutter and I have not felt included in diversity conversations or in the workplace because I have silenced myself. Mm. And then that other piece is as a leader, how have I felt excluded from inclusion conversations. And so how do I help expand again, go back, going back to expanding that conversation so that diversity doesn't have to not include people with disabilities, but that it can be a broader lens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's how I spend my, my work time is I left the nonprofit area. And, and while I think that work is, has been so super important in the young people that I've met through it and the staff who've challenged me has been worth it. And there's places that I haven't been perfect. And I, and I know that, but I, and I think that's a part of leadership too, is how do we 
value leaders who are willing to be vulnerable and say, I didn't get it right every time. Here's how I'm willing to change that conversation. And here's what I did well. So that's how I spend my time now. And I think that journey of hiding and being open for people to, to know how to unhide so they feel less alone is the gift that I'm, I'm imparting. And how I, I think the gift that I get back is when people say, thank you. Like, I feel like less alone right now. And I can share because the truth is, Sadie, our differences are what bring us together. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the goal of this whole thing. And the key to connection is unhiding. Yeah. You know, in, in all reality, I think, Ruth, that we have so much more in common than we have different, no matter what it is that we're talking about. I mean, if we're talking about a disability, we're talking about gender, we're talking about race, we're talking about all these different things that are in the diversity bucket. We have so much more in common than we allow ourselves to think that we do. And if we simply gave each other the opportunity to have that space to be vulnerable and to say, well, this is how I feel in this moment, or this is how I feel when that happens, or this is how I feel when this situation is presented to me. And someone else can say, oh my goodness, I feel the same way, but I feel it when this happens, right? So we can we can start and have these conversations to see just how similar, just how close to just the humanity of us all, right? Yeah. That's and if the we whole thing. Yeah. see that, if we can see that, then I think that that is what's going to move the needle, right? Right. If it's not about discrediting people's experiences, but right. it's about va- validating them and valuing them and not making someone say, hey, your experience doesn't matter but it does matter. It just means that that's what you're bringing to the table. Cause to your point, yeah, we all have differences, right? Like that's the gift here. That's the biggest gift is how do we utilize those differences to bring forward conversation so that we can move something forward. Yeah. And also what you said was that how do we value, do we value those leaders who are able to be vulnerable? That is something that I think I have a resounding yes for. I think that leaders that are capable of being vulnerable and saying, I can't, I don't always get it right because I'm human just like you. I may have a higher title. I may be your boss, but I'm human just like you. Therefore, we can learn from each other. And I am willing to do that because I've done some work on myself and I've realized that I have some shortcomings. I'm, I'm short-sighted on some things. I'm blind in some areas. There are some things that just, I've never even considered before. And now I'm seeing them, I'm considering them. And I realize that there's a whole lot more that I need to do. Things that you don't learn in business school. No, <laughs> Sadly. No. And I think, no, absolutely. And I think to your point, I think sometimes, A, we set up leaders to be quote unquote, perfect, right? Like we want them, we almost need them to be perfect. A, so either we can praise them or so that we can demonize them. Demonize them, yeah. And then as leaders, we set ourselves up to be perfect because we don't want anyone to see the cracks in things. And so there's the place of how do we show grace toward leadership? Like, so that, hey, I don't 
always need you to be perfect. Yes, I need you to lead us. And what does that look like? And then as leaders, how do we step back to your point and be vulnerable and, and realize that we don't always get it right and give, get permission that it's okay. That it's okay. okay. Because that sometimes with teams, they don't always say it's okay. That's where the demonizing part comes in. Like right. we want you to be perfect. And when you're not perfect, we're going to be the first to tell you you're not perfect and you need to get it together. But yet I'm not willing to look at my thing of as being a team member and what I'm contributing and how I'm perfect, not perfect. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot around leadership and I think that's the real crux of what diversity work can do is thinking about what is leadership as that space. What can we do with leaders? Because it isn't, but it doesn't all fall on leadership. It also falls on employees. Individuals. Yeah. I know like when I had a manager who was difficult to work with years ago and didn't know my quote unquote secret of my hiding my hand, it wasn't just up to him. He couldn't read my mind that he didn't know about my, my difference. He could have created a safe place to have the conversation so that I knew the door was open, but that door opening was also my job to walk through, like wasn't to continue to not share. So I had a responsibility as an employee to also be part of this equation, not just to rest on him to be like, well, he should have opened the door. He should have created that place. <laughs> no, it's not just him. It's me too. Right, right, right. And that, and there is the balance, right? There's where it's, it can sometimes be so hard. It's like any relationship. It's really hard, you know, when you're trying to get to know someone to know, okay, what's the next step in terms of how, how much can I trust this person or where can I go with the trust in this person? It's, it's the same thing. Or when a relationship ends and then you're pointing (laughs) fingers, right? And you're like, well, this person didn't do this. This person didn't do this. No, it's what did we, how did what what did I contribute? What did I, my role in this? Yes. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Recognizing that we're human and that humanity part is so big. It's huge. It's huge. Ruth, we've been talking for a minute or two. But there's so much to cover in this space because I think that there are a lot of people, and I'm sure your listeners too, right, who are sitting there thinking about the lens of diversity in kind of siloed ways. And so how do we expand minds around that conversation of diversity? How do we think about, you know, the parts of where one of your listeners is sitting there thinking about themselves and what they're potentially hiding, you know, and and not sharing with the world because they're, I mean, I had someone... It's interesting. There was this statistic, 61% of people are hiding a part of themselves in the workplace. Mm. So I challenged that during COVID because this was a study that came out in 2013. And I challenged that by putting a LinkedIn post about like a poll and said, are you hiding something? And I got pretty much the same result. And then I got on the phone, Sadie, with someone just about something totally different. And they said, oh, were you the one that put that poll out on hiding? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh yeah, I answered, no, I'm not hiding anything. I said, oh, that's great. She's like, yeah, but now after talking to you, I realized that I am hiding parts of myself. I said, oh, that's curious to me. What, What does that look like? And that person said, well, I, you know, I was hired during COVID. And so I'm on Zoom all the time. And there's a lot that people don't know about me. And I said, what does that look like? She's like, no, I'm forthcoming. The reason I answered no is I'm forthcoming on every phone call. I, I give my opinion. She's like, but they don't know that I have a disability in terms of I can't walk. Nobody knows that. 
And I said, well, why are you not sharing that? And she said, well, because I think people will judge me that I'm not able to do the job. And I said, okay, that's, I understand that. And she said, and the other thing is I'm hiding is that I have a child with mental health challenges. And I said, well, why are you hiding that? And she said, because two things, one is the stigma that mothers with children who misbehave get of, well, you should control your child. You should, why aren't you doing, you don't know how to keep your child in line. She's like, my child has severe mental health challenges. And the second is I need to go to doctor's appointments with my child all the time. And so if I have to call out of work, people are going to say, I am not committed to my job. So I don't want anyone knowing that. And I'm like, I said, she's like, but that's hiding. Like I'm hiding part of myself because I'm afraid of the way that you're defining it, Ruth, is I'm afraid of someone's judgment about me, of my ability yep. rejecting me. And I'm like, yeah, that's hiding. That's hiding. And how do we unhide? And to what we've been talking about is, so if there's someone out there that's sitting there saying, yeah, I'm hiding, how do we get to the space of unhiding? How unhiding. do we pull in to that safe space or to just show us how to love that part of ourselves that we have found so unlovable for so long. Yeah. And you know, the thing is that it's, it's not easy because Mm. you, because you may feel, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. But the people that you're working with may not, may show you that they would probably not be okay by some of the comments they make and some of the things that they say. And so now you're going, Oh, well, I can't, I can't let them know that right and so that's where it's kind of like you have to you have to consider the language that is used within a team you have to consider the ways that people interact with each other how much how much do you are you truly open to knowing about someone and are you going to reject them if you find out that something about them is different than what you expected or different from what you think is quote unquote normal which i hate that yeah. word but you know what i mean <laughs> it's just yeah no it's i i absolutely agree 100% i mean i think that's we spend a lot of time making assumptions about people or using language not knowing about somebody like saying oh this is whatever da-da. and yet that person could be affected with that. Right. Um, and so it's so funny. And I'll just say this story that quickly, mm-hmm. but I was on a date with someone and we were telling bad, it was a first date and we were telling those bad date stories that are always interesting to hear. And he said, oh, right before we left, he said, I have one more for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, this should be good. And he said, yeah, sh- I showed up and she was crippled. <gasps> I said, first of all, do we even use that word anymore? <laughs> um, I don't know. What do you mean by that? And I said, do we use that word? And he said, well, yeah, she, I got there and she couldn't walk. And I said, okay. And he said, well, she lied on her profile. She didn't share that information. I said, well, would you've gone out with her if she had? And he said, probably not. And he said, well, okay. So she's learned that there are people who make judgments about looks on dating profiles. I think we all have done it at some point, if, if you even dating. Um, and I said, but did you have a good time? And he said, well, yeah, but she lied. And I said, okay, I, I understand that. I said, I, I get it. I said, you probably, you know, I said, you know, this about me now that I talk about expanding diversity, but we haven't broken down what that means. And I said, I talk about it from a disability lens and I debated at the moment whether I should tell him or not, because right, I've learned now, is that a safe place to talk about this? 
but I decided to do it because I didn't want anyone else to go on a date with him and have that conversation. And so I said, you know, I come from it. I was born missing my left hand and I have a disability and he stopped. He didn't, he asked for the check. (laughs) Oh, I said, you know, I want to tell you two things. That is one is we don't use the word disability. I mean, we don't use the word crippled. Crippled. And I would really, I said, I have learned that in telling people about my disability that I need to create space for questions, right? Because we can have questions about it. Like telling you, even how we started today, like like your listeners, like they can't see me, but what does that disability mean, right? And it's okay to have questions to be like, oh, so you were born with a limb difference that when did that happen to you, et cetera. We can have questions and be curious. It's okay. Normal. It's the beauty of children is that they have no filter. Yes which is a whole different area. But so I said that to him and I said, and I create space for that. I said, but what I can tell you right now is I can't ever date somebody who would already have a pre-imagined idea of disability as being less than, because it's not less than. And I think the piece around children that I would mention is we often shush children when they ask questions, right? We say, because we get embarrassed, like when a child says, oh my God, what happened to your hand? Like they've said to me, and then I break it down for them. I said, oh, we have everything, you know, something, everyone has something different about them. This is what's different about me. But when we shush kids about disability, we do two things. We stop them from being curious and we give them the message that we don't talk about disability because it's That's not. right. And yeah. so I encourage parents to have those conversations and introduce their children to disability in different ways by being okay with asking questions. Yeah. And it's the same with race. You know, mm-hmm. I constant, often say that you know, in order for in order for an adult to be comfortable speaking about race, they have to be a child that was allowed to speak about race. They have to have heard that it was okay to call someone a black person because that's not a bad word or a brown person. Right. Or they had to be able to ask those questions. Oh, why do they wrap their hair that way? Why do they do that? You know, I, you know, when my kids were growing up, I would say, you know, they would ask a question. I said, you know, you should, you should go ask them, go ask them about that. Yeah. You know, I think it's okay. We should go ask them about that because we don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shush you. <laughs> don't talk about it. You know, uh, and then you're asking the question. So, Hey, let's go, let's go ask the question, you know, and then be okay. If someone doesn't want to answer it too. Like, Absolutely. The equation, like if, if I, work- yes. Well, I happen to be comfortable. Like if a kid asks, yes, I know that that's what the parents are already thinking, but the adults don't ask. But yeah, be okay. On the other end, if someone says, you know what, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Say, okay, that's fine. You know, and it's still they, being able to be curious, right? 100%. Yeah. Um, and that's, we, we spend a lot of time being nervous or afraid that someone's going to say no. And then we're going to be what embarrassed. We're not really embarrassed. We didn't, we just didn't get what we wanted, right? We made up something in our minds that we needed to get and we didn't get it. And so we feel a kind of way, but they didn't do anything to make us feel that way. We, we did it within ourselves. And we've also been in the space of being so politically correct that we're (laughs) anything that we say is going to get us in trouble. And it will get you in trouble if you're asking, not out of kindness. Exactly. But if you're, you know, being nosy just because you need to know for yourself no the kids I give them the space because that is their they're they don't have the filter they don't have the space they're not asking typically out of meanness right like mm-hmm. it's being curious 
because it, the body is set up, the mind is set up to want to see symmetry, like in terms of how you look at me. Why don't I have a hand? Okay, I can share that with you. Yeah, no, I think, again, I go back to the key to the way we're going to be connected with each other and to the way we're going to belong is to unhide and share parts of ourselves. 100%. Yeah, I love that. What is the title of your book and when is it coming out? Yeah, it's called Single-Handedly. Um, so it's appropriate. And it's, uh, <laughs> when we think about single-handedly, obviously we think about people who do things on their own or they do it with strength. And so it's called Single-Handedly, Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. And it comes out in the fall. So I hope your listeners- Yay! Well, we'll definitely link everything in the show notes and you will keep me apprised of where people can pre-order your book if they can and all of those things. So we'll definitely share. I so appreciate you being here with me today, Ruth. It has been such a pleasure. I do have to ask you my final question though, which is what is your favorite dish? Yeah. Um, it's a good one because it's, I think, and it's, I'm going to take the answer of twofold, which is I think about my favorite childhood dish, which my mom made me every birthday of mine, which was, oh. and she passed away six and a half years ago. So I honor that memory of chicken a la king. And it was oh. chicken a la king in these amazing pastry puff shells that were like buttery and hot and spicy and like just good. Mm. And then I think about my other favorite dish, which is something that whenever I am out and I'm craving it all the time is guacamole. <laughs> That's not a dish, but that is a dish for me. Like I could live on avocados for the rest of my life, I think, because they're a good fat is what I keep hearing. So I'm telling myself that no matter what, um, I love good guacamole. Yeah. Love it. Oh, wow. Yes. You know, you're, um, I think someone else, they said, oh, can I do two? Because one is kind of nostalgic and one yeah. is, you know, so I totally get that. And I, I love that. That's fantastic. Thank What's you for yours? sharing. What's yours? Oh, mine? You know what? I'm a big potato girl. I love potatoes. Any way you slice them, dice them, burn them, whatever. <laughs> However you give them to me, I'm right there. <laughs> I love fries. You know, I'm mashed. I'm just, I'm just a potato girl. I love potatoes. So that's, that's mine. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth, so much for being on Diversity Dish. Thank you so much, Sadie, for having me and for opening up that lane of diversity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at patreon.com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, don't forget diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.